I, I would say probably perseverance. Um, you know, I, and even my college career, it wasn't always, you know, fun and easy. Uh, there were a lot of tough days and, um, sure. you know, being cut seven times, I've, you know, moved around a lot. Um, hasn't been easy, you know, for me, um, you know, living in Airbnbs and hotels and, um, you know, jumping around place to place. Um, you do sacrifice things, but I think ultimately I believed in myself and I believed in my talent. And I think when other people may have pulled the plug, I stuck with it and it's, you know, paid off. And I think people, whether they're in football or, you know, just in life, they can kind of take that and, you know, say, Hey, look, if I, if I do it the right way, if I believe in myself, um, you know, it can pay dividends in a huge way down the road. Where we think we're going versus where we actually go are often two very different journeys. And nowhere is this more true than with New York Jets kicker Sam Ficken's story as a journeyman who took quite a roundabout way to the New York Jets. I'm your host, Brendan Cahill, and this is Sam's Story. Enjoy. Most of the NFL guys I talk to, they'll say it's not so much that they found kicking, but that kicking found them. Um, how did you stumble into kicking growing up? Uh, yeah, so I uh, grew up a soccer player, like like most guys that end up kicking. Um, and then... You know, I always kind of felt like I had the biggest leg on the soccer field. Uh, you know, growing up, our scheme was pretty much if they kicked the ball out for a goal kick, I would take the goal kick and we'd just launch it into the other team's box and we'd just kind of play knock them, sock them ball until we scored a goal or yeah. or they cleared the ball. So, um, you know, it kind of from an early age, you know, kind of floundered with the idea of uh, of kicking never really was willing to make that jump because I you know enjoyed soccer so much and um, you know I never played kicking or played football for that matter and um, my junior year um, I got put on JV for soccer when I thought I should have been on varsity and um, so I decided hey you know what um, this is a good opportunity for me to kind of maybe test my ability I contacted the football coach and said, hey, um, you know, soccer is frustrating me a little bit right now. Um, I'm interested in coming out to play receiver and um, kick for you guys because the kicker preceding me, um, he had left for to play college. Um, so he was a pretty good kicker and um, kind of opened up the door for me to maybe make that jump. Went out, didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, um <laughs> He uh, he actually had to set the ball on the kickoff tee for me because I you know had no idea what to do there and right. he said all right take a few steps back and a few you know to the left and kick it as hard as you can and my first kick went like six seven yards deep and he said all right well uh, you're our starting kicker and you're not playing receiver if you can do that every time <laughs> so <laughs> um, kind of realized you know at that point you know, the ceiling was pretty high for my ability. Um, again, I didn't know what I was doing. So um, pretty much spent that whole season trying to just get accustomed to the short steps for field goals. Kickoffs were pretty easy for me to kind of learn being a soccer guy. But um, yeah, it kind of just transitioned uh, through uh, through my junior year. Now, 
when you look at um, learning kicking or I guess when you, I guess from high school to college, what was that jump like for you? Because I, I find the pain point for a lot of um, high school kids isn't, isn't like technique coaching per se. It's mm-hmm. more, it's not even the college admission side of things. It's like college recruiting is often this like really murky world. So what was that recruiting process like for you going from high school yeah. to college? Um, you know, I, I kind of was in a unique spot. Um, I wouldn't say that my path was um, kind of prototypical for most kickers getting from high school to college because I started kicking so late. Um, you know, I didn't know about the cold kicking and, um, you know, Fab 50 and, and all these guys doing it. So. Right. Um, between my junior and senior year, um, you know, went to the Northwestern kicking camp and um, the Notre Dame camp. Um, and the Northwestern camp, again, I didn't, I didn't fully understand the talent level out there, really. Um, and Northwestern, there were only about eight guys there. And I ended up winning that camp. Um, so I said, hey, you know what, that, you know, maybe I could play in the Big Ten. Who, who knows? But um, they invited me back. They said, hey, you know, we'd love to maybe have you in as a walk-on. Um, Northwestern being a pretty expensive school, that wasn't really a thing. I was <laughs> yeah. Um, and then went to the Notre Dame camp where there were maybe 120 kickers um, and some big ga- some big name guys, guys that have played in the NFL, and um, ended up winning the kickoff competition there. And at that point, I was like, hey, you know what? This kid's ranked number one in, in the class, and I just beat him in the kickoff competition. So. Um, from that point on, went to the high school coach and said, hey, I, th- I think I, you know, might have a shot at, uh, at this college thing um, for a big school. And he said, all right, I'll, I'll go, to, go to bat for you. And fortunately, um, we kicked a lot of field goals my senior year. Um, I think I kicked like 25 or 26 field goals. Um, had a few long ones and just started sending out tape. And fortunately, uh, my head coach is an awesome salesman. And uh, <laughs> That, along with the tape, uh, you know, got some school's attention. And um, Ohio State had me out for a visit. And then Penn State had me out for a visit. And, um, you know, eventually it turned into a, a full scholarship actually a week before um, signing day. So it was, it was very late. Um, yeah. I don't think – I don't know if I would have gotten a full scholarship offer. Uh, I think there was a transfer involved in me getting a scholarship. So if that kid wouldn't have transferred, I, I don't know if where I would have gone. But um, – Again, the stars just kind of aligned for me. Now, did you find there is a a big disconnect between a kid's ranking versus their actual ability? Um, I, you know, I didn't. Again, because I never really went to those camps. Sure. Um, it, it's hard to say. I, I think, to a certain extent you know who the top guys are. And I think the guys that evaluate know who the top guys are, but then I think, you know, maybe from 10 to 10 to 40, I think it can maybe depend on how often you see the certain coach or, um, you know, how, how much money you might be spending. Um, right. But again, I, I think those evaluators, they know what they're talking about um, for the most part. Um, I think they, they know top level talent. As, as well as anybody else and, and they sure. see it often enough to know 
Um, but again, like any business model, you know, you're going to, you're going to maybe tailor it to your, your best client. So, uh, <laughs> well, and I think that that's always tough because we think of, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with capitalism and want to make a living and, and doing yeah. what you're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, fo- we think of football as like this, everybody's equal, you know, work hard, yeah. good things happen. But then like the business model side of things kind of changes. And I guess, yeah, and I think what's a little bit underrated is building a good relationship with your, your high school coach, because they're going to be mm-hmm. the guy who the college recruiter is going to be most interested in. Okay. Yeah. I, I can yeah. see Sam on film has a good leg, but is mm-hmm. he a good person? Does he go to class on time? What's he like as a student? What's he like as yeah. a son? Um, it seems like you had a pretty positive relationship with your head coach. Could you talk mm-hmm. about what he was like and what maybe made him a little bit different from other head coaches in high school you might hear of? Cause I hear horror stories all the time of like, Oh, my coach hates me and all this stuff. What was your relationship well, like with your head coach? Um, again, I look, there's some people that are just easier to deal with than others. And, sure. um, you know, sometimes that's luck of the draw, but I think it, also, there's a, maybe a little bit out there that, hey, you know, maybe the kicker doesn't want to do the off-season workouts, or hey, sure. he's just showing up, wants to kick for 20 minutes and then leave practice. And um, I think you gain a lot of respect being an athlete first and a kicker second. And again, you have to be athletic to be a kicker, but you also have to go through the the grind of, you know, instilling a hard work ethic and showing that to your teammates. And I think when you do that, obviously the coaching staff sees that. And for me coming from other sports, I think that helped me kind of build the mindset was, Hey, you know, I I might only be going out there for six, seven plays a game, but um, I'm doing the same work that everybody else is from, you know, January 1st all the way to training camp. And I'm not taking any shortcuts and, you know, I might not be smacking people in the face, but, I'm I'm a big part of this team, and um, I think our head coach certainly understood that. He respected the way I, I approached it, and, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm a pretty easy guy to work with. I think if you can combine, you know, a work ethic, um, you know, focusing on your craft and then re- getting the respect to your teammates, it, it's tough for a coach to um, to really turn away from you, I would say. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like normal rule of business, like those who know and like you are going to give you opportunities mm-hmm. over those that don't. Exactly. And I think a lot of kids don't fully understand like the salesmanship that's involved in being a kicker sometimes or yeah. like, you know, and it's funny that you said you want to be an athlete for you want to be an athlete who mm-hmm. happens to kick, not just a yep. kicker who kicks. Especially in high school. Um, sure. Look, no one that's, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 is you know, a, a pure, you know, athlete at the time, they're still developing. And sure. um, so regardless of how talented you are, I think you have to show that, Hey, you know, I might be the most talented kid in the nation, but uh, you know, I'm still working hard trying to get better. Um, and, and it's really tough for coaches to, to maybe shade away from you if, if you show that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and I, it's, it really depends on how creative you want to get. Like I've had kids who, I think 90% of the time your high school coach just doesn't have the bandwidth to think about fourth down. Like they're mm-hmm. probably doing 10 times more than they're paid to. Yeah. 
you're even if you're really good, you're still an afterthought. Like how much more powerful would it be if you went to your head coach and said, Hey, I understand you're busy. I want to help us win more. Would you be okay if mm -hmm. I found two holders and two snappers and tried to work with them this off season? Yeah, look, I think that's a, a great idea. I think the other thing is, um, you know, look, you're your own brand as far as recruiting goes. Um, so the success of you wholeheartedly depends on the people around you. Okay. Yeah. So you could be super talented, but if, you know, your snapper never snaps all year and then is expected to go in and throw good snaps and your holder never holds, but now, you know, it's August and it's time he's got to go to work. There's a huge disconnect between what's expected of the unit and what's expected of you. And, you know, if your coach doesn't believe that the snapper can get a good snap and the holder can get a good hold, regardless of how successful you are or how good you are, he might not want to kick any field goals because he doesn't believe that the unit can hold up. Yeah. So, um, that's the other thing. You take some responsibility, make sure that the guys that are involved in your unit are doing a good job and, you know, you're getting work in the whole year. Yeah. I mean, no, no high school kid is going to say no. If you say, Hey, I'll buy you pizza. I'll buy you bacon, egg and cheese. If you come out to snap for 20 minutes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> not too complicated. You know, I think these high yeah. school programs are, are certainly getting more involved in, in, you know, the off season. And, you know, I know our high school is, they go from really January until, um, you know, August. And now they can even do, I think like spring ball kind of. So, yeah. um, you know, the rules are changing to kind of fit more of a college like um, atmosphere. And um, I think regardless of the position, you can take advantage of those to try and get an extra work. Sure. Talk to me a little bit about, two or three things you found were different from high school as you transitioned up to college. Obviously when you play for a place like Penn state, it's basically like minor league NFL football at that point. Um, yeah. What was, what was that transition like for you? Uh, well, I, again, I, the pressure um, is certainly significantly different. And I, I played in, in front of, you know, 14,000 fans in high school. So we had a pretty big high school, but again, I think, just some of these college atmospheres are so intense that um, it can certainly be intimidating, especially your first few games. Um, and I think just the sheer size of everybody, um, the gap between high school to college, in my opinion, is much more significant than college to the NFL. Um, you know, the game speeds up so much because everyone's just such a better athlete and, um, you know, you, you see this, you know, for Penn State, for example, you got 110,000 people and you start to see how much the program has an effect on not just your team, but also the school in general. You know, when we win, it's, it's, everyone's having a great time when we lose, it's, you know, oh, bummer, you know, <laughs> our season's over. So, um, you know, not just playing in front of the fans, but also the kind of the psyche behind, um, you know, how much you know, a win or a loss can influence not just the team, but also the whole community and the whole uh, football program in school. Sure. Yeah, and I think every high school kid thinks they're ready for that first day of preseason. And mm -hmm. I remember my my college coach, I played D3, but, you know, I was like, oh, he's great. He's my best friend. And then, like, day one, it's like mother after this, mother after that. Yep. The, that shock, like, nothing – 
football is often like the last thing that's on your mind. What, what was that first full preseason practice like for you? Um, gosh, it's been so long that uh, I'm trying to think. <laughs> you know, I, I think because of the way in which I got into preseason. Um, so uh, my first preseason was with the Jaguars. Um, yep. And, and uh, you know, I, I think uh, because I had, I had four tryouts with the Jaguars. Okay. So um, that kind of took the, the, you know, the, the jitters out of it for me because, you know, Hey, you got tryout one. Okay. A little jittery that one. And then tryout two. Okay. You know, a little less and then tryout three. Okay. A little less than that. And then tryout four. And by the time I actually got like there to, preseason camp it was kind of like oh well this is less pressure than the tryout I had to win the tryouts now I just you know have to go make my six kicks so right um, again I think you tailor it to kind of each person and and mine was obviously a little little bit unique in that sense gotcha yeah what what's what is a typical NFL tryout like because I every team has a little bit different but (laughs) generally generally speaking what's that tryout or or workout process like um yeah so so generally um again i've had probably 10 10 to 12 tryouts at this point but um i would say in a general sense it's they fly you in you get in that night um you get a dinner you stay at the hotel sometimes you have a roommate sometimes you don't um and then they wake you up nice and early, generally about 5.45, 6. You fill out a bunch of paperwork. Um, either they do the pre-physical or you'll check in with a trainer and just say, hey, are you healthy? Are you good? Um, if they go that route, it's generally they'll do a post-tryout physical, depending on how you do. Um, and then they'll kind of give you maybe an hour and a half heads up as far as, hey, this is what time we're going to go out to the field. You have 30 minutes from when you get out to the field to when the coaches and, you know, the GMs and front office people are going to come out. And then generally, depending on how many people are out there, um, you have, you'll go through a rotation of they'll pick a spot, everyone kicks from there, then you'll move, everyone kicks from there, then you'll move, everyone kicks from there, then you move. And generally it's, 10 to 15 kicks, I would say. Um, and then from there, you, you generally hit about five kickoffs. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's pretty short. It's pretty, pretty, um, pretty plain to the point, but um, yeah, the, you, you don't kick 50 balls certainly, um, right. but they, they definitely pay attention. I would say they pay attention more to, you know, if you go for 12 for 12, but you're not hitting clean balls or they're not going through the center you know, a guy that goes 11 for 12, but is hitting good rotation and, you know, hits the kickoffs. Well, I, I would say they're, they're going to tend to lean for that. Um, and generally the special teams coaches in the NFL have a good idea of an understanding of, you know, who maybe is more fine-tuned than other guys. Gotcha. And you've had a lot of different stops along the way. I mean, I think you've, you've yeah. had <laughs> – you've probably have had a workout or played for – Close to half the NFL, right? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm almost. I think there's there's three single digits I haven't been yet. So we're we're, we're hopefully avoiding that. But uh, yeah, you know, I've been one, two, four, five, seven, and nine now. So okay, wow. Um, 
Yeah, hopefully. so we're we're working our way along. <laughs> hopefully they're not anymore, but um, yeah, hopefully you get to keep this one for a while. Now, when you you know when you were with, you know, you've had pit stops in various places, which is an advantage in one sense because you get to see and build relationships with a wider net of coaches and front offices and players, um, and encounter different mentors. In your various stops with different teams along the way, is there a particular mentor? or coach um, that you feel helped boost you to be successful in where you are today? Or is there like a more memorable experience? Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people that, you know, I'm appreciative of through my journey. Um, but sure. I would say the guy that, that really, you know, kind of changed the trajectory of my career was Robbie Gold. Um, okay. And that actually didn't come in the NFL. He was in the NFL. I was still in college, but um, my first real college game experience um, was my sophomore year. It was my second start, and I missed four field goals and got an extra point blocked. Okay, we lost the game by one. It was against Virginia. Um, you know, at the time, Twitter was just kind of starting to starting to kind of come up and. Um, I think my last name trended worldwide on Twitter. Um, not in a way that you would, that you would hope. Um, Twitter famous, but not in the yeah, good sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, with Robbie Gold being a Penn State alumni, he actually had reached out to me um, the day after, offered mm -hmm. to, you know, work with me, watch film. I mean, we went over film probably two or three times a week for six, seven weeks. Um, Just over the phone? Until, yeah, well, I would log him into my huddle account and we'd go, you know, pretty much snap by snap and he would kind of point me in the right direction if he saw certain things. And, um, you know, I changed my whole form, really. And, um, you know, it helped me relax. It helped me feel confident in my swing. And, um, you know, from that point on, you know, my, my career was just forever changed. And, right. um, and even now, you know, whenever I have a question and um, – especially on the mental side of things, whenever I have some, something that, you know, is maybe bothering me a little bit, I'll generally reach out to him first. But again, I mean, there's, there's tons of people, um, sure. you know, coach Carney, uh, Jamie Cole, um, Mason Crosby. Um, I've, I've been fortunate to be around a, lo a lot of good guys, Greg Zerline, you know, I've, I've competed against some of the better guys in the league. So yeah. uh, Jason Myers, you know, all these guys are making millions of dollars. So hopefully uh, it's going to wash off on me someday. <laughs> yeah fingers crossed right yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think that that's like it, it's funny but when you talk to nfl guys any pro athlete or successful person they can always point back to not only situational luck but who luck you know there mm -hmm. there was always somebody that kind of took them aside to mentor them do you do you remember in particular like is there one lesson in particular that like you felt robbie gold taught you that sticks out um, hmm. I think more than anything, it was trust your swing and slow down. Um, you know, I, I think there's some coaches out there and, um, you know, for me, they're, they're saying, Hey, you got to get the ball off in, in one, two, five or quicker. And, um, you know, I think that's mildly unrealistic and he, he made it a point to, I think he even contacted the coaches at the time and said, Hey, look, I'm not get, kicking the ball off in one, two, five. Right. Um, so 
you certainly don't need to in college be doing that. So, um, you know, I was hitting the ball at like 118, 117, some of these games early on. Um, wow. And that just opens yourself up for misses. Um, sure. So I, I think first and foremost, it was, you know, him contacting coaches say, hey, look, that's an unrealistic goal. Let's let's dial that back a little bit. Let him, you know, slow down. Let him see the ball a little bit longer. Um, and that, along with a few fundamental changes, I think, that was kind of the turning point. It was like, hey, look, I can slow down. I can hit my clean ball. And um, I think that really was kind of the, like, oh, well, now I have a guy that knows what he's doing that's also – you know, contacting these coaches on my behalf because they're not maybe going to trust me. Right. Uh, if if I'm missing kicks, they're they're going to be like, hey, well, you know, is that really the reason? They're going to tend to be like, okay, but if Robbie Gould, NFL player, um, is yeah. seeing it, they're they're probably more in tune to listen to that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's it still kind of blows my mind that you have these you know programs that are basically NFL teams. Um, that still are pretty skimpy on the the kicking coaching side of things. Um, now, when you say like trust your swing, like you're obviously, a, I know Robbie Gold's a big golfer, Jason Myers a big golfer. You like golf, yep. Kickers love golf, and I think the in golf it's really it's almost weird if you don't have a mental side coach or like a sports psychology coach they all call themselves different things yeah um whereas with something like kicking or in football it's still kind of looked at as a little shady um or something that's not quite as popular when you look at how do you approach the mental side of kicking yeah um i think this is this is an area that i'm maybe a little different in than than some of these other guys um I, once I'm in the game, I try and tie everything to routine. Yeah. Um, it, it's almost like I try and shut my brain off. You know, it, kicking a field goal I've done a million times, really. I mean, at this point, it's so muscle memory. And I think from the mental side of things, you can tend to hurt yourself more than help yourself. And um, so like for me, I have a routine, you know, the second we cross the 50 first down, every first down, I'm going to, I'm going to kick into the net second down. I'll watch the play and then pre-snap third down, I'm going to get one more kick in. And when I tie myself to that routine, that alleviates my brain from going down the path of, okay, you know, it's, it's a tie ball game. Right. If I miss this, you know, I could lose my job. We could lose the game. Um, you just start down a path of, you know, that I think they could influence you in a negative way. So, um, you know, some people are, are maybe different. Um, I don't personally have like a mental coach. Um, I think, you know, for me, I internalize a lot of things and I, and, um, uh, again, I think the the way that I've been most successful is just tying everything to a routine um, sure. and turning my brain off. But I think that's so crucial because the whole point of a routine is to get yourself out of your own way, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so to speak. Because like when you played soccer, like it's a continuous action sport. Yeah. The game is going to go faster than your thoughts. 
with with kicking and this is something that like you know I'll, I'll pick up from John Carney or guys like you or Young Way Koo it's like you guys have the whole your routine is the whole game you know yeah. what am I doing before the 50 yard line I'm sitting down if the defense is out yeah. um looking at kicking from a place of experience now and you see high school kids coming up or college kids coming up what do you think is the one thing they're getting wrong about their training and development that you would like to see corrected uh i would say at the high school level it's probably um quantity of reps versus quality of reps mm-hmm. um I think you can start down a path of getting injured if you're not doing the right things as far as quantity. And when you get injured, that's going to have long-term effects on the quality and the fundamental aspect of kicking. And, um, you know, I was that kid when, you know, I transitioned from soccer and, you know, being a soccer guy, you, when you're practicing, you're running around, you're doing stuff the whole practice. Okay. But in kicking, you can't go and kick the whole practice because you're going to hurt yourself. So um, I think it's about fine tuning and minimizing the quantity of reps. And then once you've hit that number, you cut it off and then you can go to, you know, fundamental drills, whether it's steps, whether it's dry runs, um, stuff that alleviates the stress on your leg. Um, And then from the college standpoint, I, I would say it's more of, a balancing act between, um, you know, the physical requirements and um, the early mornings and the and the intense weight training, with also making sure that you're not maybe too sore to be kicking during season, right. or um, also you're maturing. So, you know, I threw on about 25 pounds through college. Um, it's understanding that your body does change and maybe your swing changes too. And it's, it's a combination of kind of learning your new swing while also maintaining those fundamentals and maintaining, you know, the academic side of it and, you know, being a real adult. Um, so again, I think at each stage, it's, you got to understand, you know, what can inhibit your pro- progress as a kicker and um, not just as a kicker, but as, as a person too. Sure. And when you see like, um, you know, like, so when, I, so for example, like I had a kid text me the other day and, um, or maybe it was like, it was a while ago, but he was, he sent me some film and it was like all kicks like beyond 50 and yeah. like, you know, he, good leg, good contact just wasn't making them. And I was like, well, how many did you kick from 40 and in? And he was like, uh, and I was like, okay, well, how many field goals did you guys go for this season? Uh, yeah if they did, it was like inside of 30. So like, could you talk a little bit of like, even NFL practices, you guys aren't just hitting nukes from 70 yards. Could you talk a little bit about what your normal practice field goal unit is like from like, just in terms of like distance and and reps and stuff like that? um, Again, my, depending on what time of the year, um, I'll change, you know, my daily routine. So like right now I don't even kick on uprights. Right. So, um, you know, this far away from the year, I'm just trying to make sure I'm not over kicking and I'm getting good, clean contact and my ball flight is straight. 
So I actually, I won't even kick on uprights. I'll kick down the sideline, down the hash mark. Um, and I just want to see a good clean ball, you know, 30, 30 reps and, um, and go from there. And then maybe at the end of the workout, I'll set cones up um, at the 50 and I'll do like maybe 10 reps of maybe four of them are extra points and then do kind of like a ladder drill. Um, but very few are done on uprights. Um, and then obviously as you get closer to the season, um, like my, my season routine is entirely different. It's, you know, I'll, I'll take, um, my warmups always the same, but once, once I'm done warming up, then I'll take, you know, my, I'll do a ladder drill. Um, yeah. So again, I think you tailor it to what works best for you. So for me, because I take, you know, a month and a half, two months off after the season, um, kind of refreshing the leg, I'm not focused on making kicks right now. It's, I just want a good clean ball contact. I don't need it to go 70 yards. I don't need, you know, a 65 yarder. What I want is a straight ball, 50 yards. Now it might go 70 yards, but I don't care how far it goes. I just want to see it go straight because ultimately how many, I mean, I kicked 60 or six 50 plus yarders this season and I'm in the NFL. Right. And I think that's, that's more than probably a lot of guys in the NFL. Um, so I, I think, you know, when you look at it, my job security is more tied to the accuracy than me hitting 65 yard field goals. And look, I think the talent level can get you noticed, but also, the accuracy and the consistency is what's going to earn you a job long-term. Sure. Yeah. It's almost, it's confusing for a lot of younger guys because you'll see cool camera angles on Twitter and slow-mo and guys hitting 80 yard kickoffs and stuff, but then breeze at their back. Yeah. The nice breeze at their back. Right. And then, you know, hashtag nukes dropping bombs and all that stuff. Love it. It's a great, it's great for your ego. But then, yeah. like, that, it seems like that'll get you on the team, but then what gets you on the field is 40 and in. Yep. I would say, you know, in, in high school, if you can make 40 and in, you're – if you're going to make everything 40 and in, you're, like, elite. In college, at 40, I would say, like, 43, 44 yards and in, you're elite. If you make everything. And then right. pros, it's, I would say it's, like, 40, 48, mm -hmm. probably, and in, you're elite. Um, so, again, but, like – and John Carney could probably be a testament to this. I mean, I, later in his career, he was still playing, still making millions of dollars. And I don't think he was banging 65 yarders all the time, you know, no. <laughs> consistency will keep, keep your job. Uh, right. Although if you think, if you can get John to put his cleats on when you guys are out well, there, he, he might say, uh, he might say he can bang a 65 yarder. I don't know more though. Oh, he's a machine, but, but yeah, I mean, it's man, like at least in Connecticut where I'm at, like, outside of the one or two kids that might've hit a 50 this year, the average field goal distance was 30 yards, 28 yards. Yeah. yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, one piece of advice you would have wished you had given yourself when you first started out in the NFL, knowing what you know now. Um, it's a roller coaster ride. Um, on, on good days, don't, don't get too high on yourself and on bad days, brush it off. Um, 
you know, I, I've been on a unique journey. I, I would say more than most guys in their typical um, path through the NFL. And, um, you know, I've been cut seven times now, I think. So, look, gotcha. everyone's going to have bad days. Um, right. It, it doesn't mean you need to change who you are or change your, your fundamentals entirely. You know, I think my first two NFL kicks I missed. Um, and I'm still in the NFL. Now, was that a bad day for me? Yeah, 100%. Did I go back and look at the film and see what I did wrong? 100%. But I think a huge aspect of success in this league is the ability to focus after a miss and not worry, hey, you know, this is – this is going downhill quick. It's kind of burning ship. I'm abandoning. It's, hey, look, my swing got me here. My ability got me here. Let's believe in myself and let's focus on the next kick and make the next one. Um, and I think the elite guys, one, they rarely break down to begin with. And two, when they do have a bad game or a bad kick, it's quick out of their mind. Um, and I think for me, early, I, I struggled early. And then as I got kind of accustomed to the pressure of kicking in the NFL and, um, and so on and so forth, I, I've, you know, now settled down and um, I feel like, uh, you know, I've, I'm ready to break through, I would say. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Did you like, and did you feel like you almost, like, I guess, did you struggle to feel like you belonged on the same field as those guys early on? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I think, um, mm-hmm. Again, my, my path was so unique. You know, I, sure. I was working a real job um, in, in, right. in Greenwich. Right, Stanford, baby. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> you know, at the time, you know, I had been in preseason game, games, and um, I would – but my first game was – it was a division-clinching game for the Rams when they were, I think, 11-3 and three at the time. You know, we yeah. win the game, we clinch the division. If we lose and then lose the next week, we might miss the playoffs. So right. my first NFL game was unlike, I would say, most. Uh, yeah, it, it really mattered. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah. so I, I think, you know, you tie that to the pressure of, you know, kicking in your first game. And I, and I struggled with that a little bit um, under the unique circumstances, which I got into the NFL. But um Again, everyone's path is so unique, and I, I think just the ability to move on to the next kick is so huge at this level. Sure. And you, you kind of talked about this too, you know, a lot of your kicking, uh, it, it, it revolves around not just you. You know, it, we all, you got to have a good snapper holder, good chemistry, those guys. Um, and that just makes everything so much easier. Can you talk a little bit about how you develop trust and chemistry with your snapper and holder? A lot of snaps and a lot of holes. <laughs> Uh, no, you know, I, I was fortunate in high school. My snapper ended up long snapping at Purdue and my holder was great. We got a ton of reps during the summer. Um, and they helped me, you know, succeed and get to the next level. And, um, you know, so I was fortunate in that regard. And then obviously in college, um, again, under unique circumstances, we had the sanctions. So we didn't really have a, like a pure number one long snapper. We actually had our center doing doing snaps so um I always give him give him crap but you know first <laughs> quarter he's our starting center so he's right the game so first yeah. quarter the snaps were great I just second, get gassed second quarter they were okay third quarter it was like eh. and fourth quarter <laughs> like 
all right, fingers crossed this one's going to come back. Uh, Dude was just shot. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, my first few years, it was just kind of tough because the starting center isn't just going to get a ton of rush with you. You know, he's, sure. he's about making sure he has a light protection for the quarterback, not getting him killed. Um, but, you know, as, as we progress and move away from the sanctions, um, you know, we had our punter then start to hold my senior year, and we had our pure long snapper doing the snapping. And that was my best season. I think it went like 86%. So, um, you know, I, I think the ability to just get reps throughout the year just instills, conf instills confidence throughout the pressure-packed moments. Sure. Yeah, and I, you don't even really need to have a college-bound long snapper holder to get to develop trust like even yeah. if your snapper shoots back ducks like yeah. most most kids could figure out how to do that for seven yeah. yards yep and i look it, it all comes down to rhythm so um you know if they're slow it's fine but i'm going to be used to them being slow so as long as it's consistent you know look what we do you have to have consistency so you know whether it's on the pro level or high school level if as long as he's consistent, you can, you can find a way to make it work. Sure. Um, and I would say the, the same thing in regards to uh, holding, you know, if he's, as long as he's consistent, I can adjust to make it right. Sure. Um, talk to me a little bit about kicking in different, I guess, in terms of like techniques. So like, let's say, for example, let's say, for example, all the information on, kicking technique was thrown out the window and then it all came down to you and I said Sam here's here's a post-it note you got to write down three bullet points uh you know Sam's three rules for kicking great from a technical standpoint what are your what are your three keys that you think are most important for most kids to get um ball contact probably one yeah if I get good ball contact I'm gonna make probably 95 percent Mm -hmm. of my kicks at least off the sticks you know um and then two i would say for me it's chest so well i take that back it's ball contact first plant foot number two making sure your plant foot is consistent and then three is um your chest so making sure your chest stays upright because that for me if i keep my chest in an upright position my hips are generally going to follow through that um, right you're pretty tall how tall are you six two six three yeah depending on the days you know <laughs> yeah but, um you know for me if, if i can keep my chest up and um everything's gonna flow through that so ball contact plant foot and then chest um making sure that's all in alignment gotcha and um do you think kids are like too quick to throw out their form like so for example like when you're golfing, like I'm sure you've had days golfing with your buddies where, you know, you have this one guy who's a terrible golfer, but his first three drives were great warming up. And then he had the best day of his life. Mm -hmm. Or you've had another buddy who like his first three shots were terrible. And then he had a terrible day on the, on the course yep. and he kept trying to change everything every, yep. every round. Do you think kids are too eager to just throw their swing out? Yes. Um, we kind of live in a quick affirmation life, I feel like. Um, and I, I always joke with my dad. Um, he loves golf too, but 
he's trying new things, you know, every other day in his swing. And it's like, yeah, look, you have to have a foundation. And so for me, for kicking, if, if I try and change, you know, more than one thing at a time, I'm not going to know if it's beneficial for me. So like for me, when I worked with Robbie, my sophomore year, I was, I was two and a half step guy. Okay. That was kind of what I had always done. And he came to me and he said, Hey, I think it would be vastly better for you to go to a pure two step. So between my sophomore year and my junior year, I made the transition from two and a half to two. And the first month of me going straight to, I didn't belong on a college football field. <laughs> but because I was committed to that change, it took me, you know, six, six to eight weeks to really kind of see the results of going from two and a half to pure, up here two guy. And if you would have asked me, you know, four weeks in, am I going to be a two-step guy during the season? I would have said, heck no. But then, you know, another four weeks later, I was like, wait a second, he's on to something here. There's a reason he makes millions of dollars in the NFL. My consistency has gone up and my power has stayed the same. I'm not losing anything because of the the jab step, but I'm gaining consistency. So Mm -hmm. um, changes take incremental amounts of time. And um, you can't go out there and be like, hey, you know, I'm going to change my plant foot this time. And then, oh, you have a good day. But then the next time it's not and then you fall back and it's just, there's too many moving parts where if you're changing too many things, you can't really learn if one thing is the problem or another thing is the problem. Right. Um, and I think that consulting with, you know, whoever your kicking coach might be. Um, but everyone, everyone's swing is different. You know, I think that's the great thing about this is I kick completely different than like Harrison Bucker or um, Will Lutz or, Right. Um, you know, Justin Tucker. I think I would shatter my ankle if I kicked like Justin. But, um, you know, I, I think, look, we all got to this level and, um, you know, knowing your swing is what's great about it. And, um, and I get, just like golf, you know, you see it, different guys' swings um, and, and that's okay. There's, there's really good swings and there's very unique swings. And, you know, knowing your swing is your ability. So, yeah, it's funny because you'll see, I mean, like somebody like Goskowski, I mean, you and him are, are built pretty similarly, yeah. but you swing totally differently, yeah. yet the ball comes off the same part of your foot. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's weird because like in golf, there's, there's a pretty good consensus about this is a good swing. These are the fundamentals. These are not. In kicking, like we know what a bad swing is, but like nobody can come to a consensus on like, this is a good swing. Yeah. I, th- I think, um, and I, I would say most golfers would agree and most kickers would agree that there's a lot of different swings, but from everyone's foot and body from six inches behind the ball, when they're swinging to six inches past of the point of contact is the really good guys are very, very similar. Yeah. Um, and you know, in golf, I think the the best college golfer this past year, um, I forget his name, but he has the wackiest little pre-swing jig. Right. And the guy won a national championship in golf. So, like, look, everyone's going to have their unique swing. Whatever makes you feel comfortable, I think, is key. 
Um, but I would say the great ones, the six inches before and the six inches after, they're all pretty close. And sure, sure. Um, that determines your success, really. Yeah, when I had Bob Rotella on here, um, the, the golf mental coach, I mean, he was like, it doesn't matter what it is if you feel like breaking your club after you miss is going to make you more confident for the next swing than do it. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. He's, he's like an anomaly in the golf world. Cause there's yeah. like the, the mechanical coaches and then there's like the, the guys that are not so mechanical. Yeah. Um, let's talk equipment. You're a cleat head. Uh, you're buddies with, with Chris Easton, soccer oh, yeah. guy, Chris. My God. Talk us. I know, dude, he is like, he's like the Dos Equis guy of kicking. Yes. Like kids, kids DM this guy all the time thinking he's like an ex NFL player asking for advice. <laughs> he's like, bro, I've never kicked. I'm an army vet who works at a soccer store. Um, yeah. But talk us through your arsenal of cleats. What's your favorite cleat to kick in? How do you break them in? Um, yeah. So I would say generally on my kicking foot, I've pretty much always been a vapor guy. Um, I just like the fact that it's so super thin. It's super lightweight. Um, I like the cleat formation on the bottom. Now, I do like the current vapor. The one preceding this this current model, I did not like at all. Um, they kind of made a, a switch, and I didn't like the material and how it bended. And yeah, um, so that's generally on my kicking foot, and then um, on my plant foot because I'm. I would say I'm a, a shallower guy in how I, how deep I plant. So a lot of NFL guys, they'll plant past the ball, and I don't do that. Um, so I don't really ever wear a football clean on my left on my left foot. Um, I'll either wear a tempo or a um, all ground. So it's like a turf turf show, uh, shoe on my left foot, mm-hmm. um, and the, that's a vapor AGR I think on my left. Um, I found that's best for turf because the stud, there's more studs, but they're, they're shorter and rubberized. Sure. Um, and then, um, you know, grass or, or good turf, I will use a tempo generally. The more firm turf, I'll try and use the AGR on the left foot. Gotcha. Do you shave your cleats down at all? Because I know yeah. some guys are like, some guys don't care. They don't think about it. Other guys are like very intentional about how they do that. Yeah, I, uh, I shave the, the three on the leading part of your right foot. I'm obviously a righty, so I'll, I'll shave those down. Um, I'll try and leave a little bit on the nub because when you plant, when you push the takeoff, you don't want to slide out. Um, you want to make sure your, you know, your planting is good on your, on your pre, pre-plant kick. Gotcha. Um, footballs there's if you have like uh there's always like that one like really annoying kid at a kicking camp who's like it's my ball and like they like have to like you know what i mean like they want to keep kicking with it and everybody's like dude relax but like when you find a good ball you don't want to get rid of it um talk us through what it's like kicking your practice ball versus the k ball in a game and then do you have a specific way you break them in or is you just try not to think about it yeah um you know it's it's funny um, because of the way the NFL does um, their K balls, some games the K balls are great. It's like, okay, this is what I've been using to practice all week. And then there's other weeks that maybe there was more wax on the ball or, you know, the, the seams were more firm. Some weeks I'm, I go to the ball boy and I'm like, hey, like, 
what happened to this one? He's like, <laughs> like, like, it, like this week, it was just, they gave us crappy set of balls. Um, so I, I think for me, I, I try and make sure that the ball I kick that week in practice is from the game. So it's as close to a game ball um, versus like when I'm just, you know, out there on my own, I have the same, you know, I have the same balls for a year and a half. So um, sure. I found that generally a more broken in ball is going to go quite a bit farther, but it's going to move a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the K balls, because they're a little pointier, they're not as broken in, they'll track a little, a little straighter, but they won't go maybe, you know, they'll go shorter by two or three yards. Sure. Yeah. When I um, did a podcast with Mark Mosley, who was like the Redskins kicker from the seventies and eighties. And he yep. was saying they, he used to, this is back when you could do all sorts of ungodly yeah. things to the game. Balls. Like take it in the oven. Yeah. So he would, um, he would hyper inflate them to like, I think you guys play with 13 PSI. He would put it up to like 18 or 20. Yeah because it would stretch the leather out and then he would let the air out. So it would be like softer and pop off his foot. He was also a straight on kicker. So like, you know, okay. a little different. Yeah. Um, I don't, so with, with strength training, obviously with the coronavirus and stuff, it's kind of messed everybody's off season workouts up a little bit, but I think there's a lot of debate over how are you supposed to train as a specialist? Are there, are there kicker specific lifts that you do? Um, which is a favorite question of mine, but like talk us through what your philosophy of strength training is like. Cause I feel like you, you'll see, you and I've all seen kickers. You're like, yeah, I want to kick in college, but they're doing thousand pounds and trying to do yeah. these power cleans and stuff. What's your approach to strength and conditioning? Um, I, I think every person needs to find what works for them. So for me, I'm, I'm long and lanky. So I use my levers to my advantage. Um, me throwing on 30 pounds of muscle is probably going to inhibit my ability to kick at a high level. Um, so what I do, I focus on small, like small muscles and functional movements. So, um, split squats. Um, if I do squat, it's, it's low weight, it's high reps and it's quick movements. Um, and you know, just finding stuff that, okay, what, what gets sore when I kick? Okay. So generally for me, it's my groin and my quad. So I try and do as many exercises as I can that can strengthen those, you know, those small muscle groups that maybe you don't use in an Olympic lift, maybe whether it's power clean or squatting or, or whatnot, and find ways to work those muscles that are safe, but also develop, you know, for the, the stress of the season and the, the stress of kicking in games, because that's a lot of reps. Sure. Yeah, I think of it's not so much that kids need to change what they're doing. Like a lot of like, who doesn't love to like bang the weights around and, yeah. you know, like do Armageddon, Steve Weatherford's workout. Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think if kids just had a little bit more balance, like do Pilates like once a week, do yoga or yeah. something. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, so my mom teaches yoga at the high school okay. um, that she works at and, um, you know, I try and do as much stretching as I can. Um, I'm naturally less flexible than I would say most kickers are. Um, and I work pretty hard at it. It's just, I think that's just the way I am. I've seen people yeah. are more flexible than others. And, um, you know, I, again, I think it's a happy medium of 
you know, developing strength, but also functional movement. You know, if you go, if you go to your local gym and you see the guy that, you know, he's got the muscle t-shirt and walking around, you know, with his, with his shoulders shrugged, right. you know, is his ability to move as good as mine? Probably not because he's so muscle bound. So, you know, guys in the NFL, like I don't need to train like a lineman because I don't do lineman stuff during the games. What I need to do is train the muscles that I activate when I kick. And I think there's, there's plenty of ways to do that in your house when you can't go to a gym and, and, you know, when the gym's available, great, but you still need to do functional movements as it pertains to what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Goskowski's a big Pilates guy. I mean, like it's, and I like what John Carney said once he said, you know, if you can't draw a direct line between what you're doing in the weight room to mm -hmm. kicking a football, yep. you need to reevaluate what you're up to. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, football's not forever, but yep. that's why it's cool. But also you've had a hand in kind of the startup world a little bit. Yep. Talk a little bit about your project play easy and, I guess a little bit on what your plans might be at some point for post NFL. Uh, yeah. Again, I think it, everyone that's in the NFL wants to play as long as, as sure, well. sure. you know, the reality is it's generally you get kicked out at some point. <laughs> so uh, there's very few that go out on their own terms. Um, but, um, you know, I think uh, um, with that being said, you know, for me, we have all this time in the off season to, uh, you know, explore other opportunities. Um, and, you know, an opportunity that arose for me last off season was working with a company called Play Easy. It's a sports, sports tech startup based out of Boston that in layman's terms, it's the Airbnb for athletic facilities. So if you, if you need to find a, a place to, you know, run a, a camp or do a tournament or whatever, it's a quick, search on this website um all the stuff goes through them payment processing insurance all that stuff um and it, it's just a really cool idea obviously with the with the coronavirus being the way it is um you know hopefully that doesn't affect them too badly but um it's such a cool idea the co-founder ryan quigley i had a training camp with him that was kind of the connection there um went out to boston and and worked with those guys for about two and a half months and and trained with him and in, in the free time that I had and um, what a cool experience. Um, so, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully I play as long as I, I can, but you know, who knows what happens here in the next, you know, months, years, tens sure. of years, you know, who knows. And I think it's important to in the off season that you do have, you know, make sure that you're progressing as an adult. If, you know, if, if I played my last snap already. Sure. Yeah, but I think that's an important reminder for a lot of kids that maybe not going to the NFL, but in college, like, you know, like, yeah, football's great, but it's got to, if, if football were taken away from you and you don't know what you want to do, then you probably need to reevaluate what you're trying to get out of college and think beyond it. Um, but that's what kind of makes football great is it teaches you a lot about yourself and is ultimately about making you a better person or professional. Yeah. Um, last thing when you're a hundred years old someday and you look back on your playing career, what is, what do you want people to remember about your career, whether it's as a teammate or somebody watching your career? Um, hmm. I, I would say probably perseverance. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, 
and even my college career, it wasn't always, you know, fun and easy. Uh, there were a lot of tough days and, um, sure. you know, being cut seven times, I've, you know, moved around a lot. Um, hasn't been easy, you know, for me, um, you know, living in Airbnbs and hotels and, um, you know, jumping around place to place. Um, you do sacrifice things, but I think ultimately I believed in myself and I believed in my talent. And I think when other people may have pulled the plug, I stuck with it and it's, you know, paid off. And I think people, whether they're in football or, you know, just in life, they can kind of take that and, you know, say, Hey, look, if I, if I do it the right way, if I believe in myself, um, you know, it can pay dividends in a huge way down the road. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Kickers Are People 2 podcast. If you like this episode, or even better, if you didn't like it, please drop us a review on iTunes so we can get better for everybody else. It's important because we're going to start to give away some free, cool prizes in the coming weeks, episodes, and seasons. Thank you.